This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Yes, we are full. We're going to get started with our last session, and it has been quite an adventure to be here with you this week. How many of you have been here to at least one session prior to this? All right, praise the Lord. How many of you have been to all five? Okay, just a handful. How many of you have been to one? Okay, good, good, good. Well, um, for, the, for the purposes of those listening to the MP3, the way that we're going to construct our, our meeting this afternoon is we're going to do a recap for about the first 10 minutes or perhaps 15 minutes. So on the MP3, if you've been listening to all the previous files, you may want to fast forward through the beginning here. But for those who've been here, there were very few who've seen everything we've shared this week. So for your sakes, the rest of you that is, I want to clue you in to some of the insights that we have brought out on this issue of media. And obviously, as you can see around you, we all know that this is a very, very important topic to be talking about. We all know that, there, that we have a problem with, with media in the 21st century. And so to address this, to help understand the effects of it and to gain a more balanced relationship with our media so that it becomes a tool for the glory of God and the winning of souls rather than chains that bind us. And it is chains that bind us presently. I want to share one slide with you just to give you a glimpse into that and then we'll pray and start. George Barna has pointed out that media is the most widespread and serious addiction in America. And this is based on data and polling using the American Psychiatric Association's method for diagnosing an addiction. And when I met George Barna and talked to him about this, he, he told me, and this has been his published literature as well, that actually the majority of Americans would qualify as having an addiction to, to some form of mostly entertainment media. So as we face this as a people, we've got to begin where we should begin everything in our lives, and that is looking to Jesus Christ in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we know that we cannot face this thing on our own, in our own strength. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would speak, and not just speak, but we, that you would give us ears to hear and the courage to understand what it is you might be sharing with us today. Lord, we thank you that you've given us hope, that we have a way out of our traps that we've stepped into, and thank you so much that we can hear some of that this afternoon as well from Chad and Fadia. Lord, we pray that your spirit would do the speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The recap. First of all, just some statistics on how much media is being consumed in America today. And mainly, by, again, by that I mean entertainment media. Kids aged 2 to 5 are viewing 32 hours of television per week. Ages 8 to 18, we're looking at 5 hours per day and 3 and a half hours of worldly music on top of that. Or some studies say up to 6 hours when you account for multitasking. The average young person racks up 10,000 hours of video gaming by the age of 21. And if you isolate out fi the 5 million gamers who are playing the most, 5 million video gamers are playing 40 hours a week, every week on average, uh, of just their video games. So we're looking at some serious, serious numbers with that. And you can add on top of that things like spectator sports. The average college-age boy is viewing eight hours a week of watching televised sports. And so if half of them viewed it, which that's probably a ballpark estimate when I was in college, it was about half of them. That means 16 hours for those who are watching it on average. 
The total screen time for the average American child is over 53 hours per week, and the average child will spend more time watching TV by the age of six than he will spending time with his con a conversation with his father in his entire lifetime, it has been said. That's a sobering reality. Now you might be wondering, what are the effects of this? We go through a lot of the health effects, a lot of the effects on the mind and the brain. I'm obviously not going to be able to get into all five hours of what we've covered so far, but here are just a few bullet point anecdotes that I found very interesting. These are from the studies. I don't know if you know this, but the average lifespan becomes 11 minutes shorter for each cigarette smoked. So a smoker's lifespan gets shorter and shorter and shorter over time by 11 minutes for each cigarette. Another stat, tw there are 12 million alcoholics in America. And another fact, there is a 19% increase in heart attacks for red meat eaters, if you eat a serving of red meat per day. Now let's compare that column of statistics with our 21st century media and entertainment. The average lifespan becomes not 11 minutes for a cigarette, but 22 minutes shorter for each hour of television watched. Now we make strong warnings about smoking, and we should. It's shortening lifespans. But an hour of television, because you're sedentary, you're not exercising, you're eating more unhealthy foods, you're being advertised to on more unhealthy foods, and there are effects on mind and body for this behavior. There are 12 million alcoholics in America, but there are 19 million video gaming addicts in America. This is according to the American Medical Association. And video gaming is a diagnosable, diagnosed addiction in America today now by the American psychiatry community. 25% increase in heart attacks on a big game day in London. The London hospitals witnessed a spike in heart attacks right on and just after big game day. You remember 19% over here for red meat, 25. So we're looking at a serious health message on this issue of media. But not just that, those are numbers that we've seen five hours per day for the average eight to 18 year old. Those are numbers from the, the world, from, from the broader community. I was wondering about um, Adventist youth, and so I got a hold of 50 and did an anonymous survey, and they were honestly reporting uh, how much TV, movies, and video gaming that they were consuming. Just those things, just TV and movies and video gaming. And it was four hours per day, and then I asked about prayer, Bible study, uh, you know, spiritual disciplines, and it was 10 minutes per day on average. Most of them were, were zero, but it averaged out to be 10. So four hours to 10 minutes is a 25 to 1 ratio. This is, we're looking at obviously a serious imbalance. You don't have to hear it from me to know that. So what are the effects of these things? Well, it seems that the world seems to start getting some of this stuff even before the church does. The American Academy of Pediatrics has warned for a number of years that children under two should be watching no television at all. And the government of France goes even further and recommends, and not recommends rather, they've made it illegal to watch, to air television to aimed at children under three on the public airwaves. So they've made these stands and taken these stands because of what modern science has shown us, a lot of it about the brain. So we talked a lot about the brain. Chad and Fadia explained the difference between the frontal lobe and the limbic system and how these function. Just basically to sum it up, the frontal lobe are those spiritual elements within the human nature of, of, of self-control and reason and prayer, the will, discernment, and all of these important things, empathy and altruism. The limbic system being more of the carnal base passions within the human mind. And simply put, the more television we watch, it shuts down frontal lobe function and enhances limbic system function, thus developing our brain in an imbalanced way. And I say our because 
all of our brains are changing and developing. You're going to hear more about that in a few minutes. But especially for children, that's why these strong stands have been taken. Well, what about video games? We looked at a lot of things, a whole session on video gaming, but just a few highlights from that. Studies have shown that hostility was increased both in subjects playing a highly aggressive video game and those playing a mildly aggressive video game. That was a particularly interesting finding to me because sometimes we say, well, it's not as bad as such and such, and we kind of justify what we do in life because if we compare ourselves among ourselves with fellow humans and what they might be doing. But even moderately aggressive, uh, or mildly aggressive video games increase aggression in subjects. The latest brain research shows that violent games activate the anger center of the teenage brain, or any brain, while dampening the brain's conscience. Obviously not something we want to do. Probably the most striking study we looked at from the video gaming world was one done in, in Britain, and they had subjects of the study play a violent video game, typical shoot 'em up type of game, for a week, and only for 10 hours over that one week period of time. And what they found was that there was actual changes that took place a week later in the prefrontal region of the brain. The prefrontal area of the brain was weaker and less active because of only one week of gaming and for only 10 hours. Remember, there are 5 million playing 40 hours a week every week. Even if we did 10 hours a week for one week, it would be damaging to the brain. Another study on gaming published in Pediatrics in 2011 showed that habitual gaming leads to greater rates of depression, anxiety, and social phobias. And this was a causal relationship, not just a correlating relationship. These were the results of the gaming. The higher rates of depression, anxiety, and social phobias. Now this is all really just fascinating with this quote as the backdrop from Review and Herald. We've known this. We didn't need the science even. Satan's work is to lead men to ignore God, to so engross and absorb the mind that God will not be in their thoughts. The education they have received has been of a character to confuse the mind and eclipse the true light. Now, isn't that interesting? We're talking about confusing the mind here, and then we go on and read the rest, and it says, Satan does not wish the people to have a knowledge of God, and if he can set in operation what? Games and theatrical performances that will so confuse the senses of the young that human beings will perish in darkness while light shines all about them. He is well pleased. Now certainly we can affirm that games had a moral problem or a, a mind-confusing problem 114 years ago when that quotation was written. We have to affirm that as well, but how much more today? This must be even more true, a prophetic quotation for our day, as these counsels and testimonies are for the last day people. Games and theatrical performances we've been warned about as a problem in the last days and one of the devices of Satan. Now we went on and looked at the control mechanisms taking place in media. We looked at the founder of modern public relations named Edward Bernays. He was a nephew of Sigmund Freud, a master of the mass mind and how to, how to manipulate and change the, the, the patterns of the masses. His quotations from over a hundred years ago are just striking. I have to share them again with you. This is the kind of influence that the media elites had over a, almost a hundred years ago. If we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, he says in his book, Propaganda, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing about it? He goes on and says, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, 
largely by men we have never heard of. And if that was true in the 1920s, how much more today with today's multi-billion dollar, high-tech, 21st century advertising industry and propaganda tools at the hands, the disposal of the hands of the media elite. And interestingly, we looked at a quotation that sort of puzzles the reader at first glance. This is from the Signs of the Times, November 4, 1884. And we read, through the channel of mesmerism, Satan comes more directly to the people of this generation and works with that power, which is to characterize his efforts near the close of probation. So it's been predicted that near the close of probation, i.e. right now, Satan's going to use mesmerism or hypnotism. And that puzzled me the first time I heard that because I don't know anybody that goes to a hypnotist or that and, and goes to these treatments of mesmerism, which were in vogue in that day. And I'm going, well, this is predictive and this is inspired and this is true. Well, how is it true? And we looked at that the fact that these modern media have a hypnotic effect on the brain. Now, don't believe it because a clever graphic artist on the internet made the kids look like they're being hypnotized on the graphic, but take, take a listen to what psycho physiologist Thomas Mulholland found, and this is, this is nothing new, but he found that after just 30 seconds of watching television, the brain begins to produce alpha waves, which indicates torpid, almost comatose rates of activity. Alpha brain waves are associated with unfocused, overly receptive states of consciousness. I should note that the goal of hypnotists is to induce slow brainwave states. Alpha brainwaves are present during the light hypnotic state used by hypnotherapists for suggestion therapy. Viewers automatically enter a trance while watching television. So that's an interesting insight from the psychophysiology community that literally when you're viewing theatrical style entertainment television, the, the front, not only is the frontal lobe turned off and the limbic system enhanced, but when you're viewing entertainment television, your brain waves are slowing down into this, 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 this suggestible, highly, highly hypnotic state of, 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 of consciousness. And by the way, this is not the, fa the, the case if you're watching a sermon, if you're watching Chad and Fadia's scripture mysteries documentaries, which reveal Bible truths in an incredible way, you should get them and share them with everybody, I think, They're the, some of the best evangelistic stuff we've got out there. If you're viewing this kind of thing, it's different than limbic system enhancing, frontal lobe suppressing, entertainment television. And similarly, when it comes to the waves, uh, if, you're, if you're viewing a seminar on DVD, it's not the same thing as entertainment. So just a quick proviso there. Now, what about music um, and, and gaming and these other things? Rock-style music bypasses the frontal lobe. We hear from Juanita McElwin, PhD, retired chair of music therapy at Phillips University. It bypasses the frontal lobe and our ability to reason and make judgments about it. This music, popular music styles, don't get hung up on just the genre of rock. It's the heavily rhythmic stuff that we talked about two days ago. This music, like television, can produce a hypnotic effect. And again, the same thing is with gaming, although with gaming it's even more of a concern with the typical video games of today. I'm not talking about like, a, you know, you're in a virtual world doing a surgery simulator, learning how to, you know, operate on somebody without cutting them open. We're talking about the typical video games of today that people are spending hours in. With the, when, they, when they hook the brain up to one of the uh, players playing one of those video games, he loses beta wave activity of his brain and slips down into one of those lower states of consciousness like we just described with the alpha waves, the slower waves. But interestingly, with the game, we didn't talk about this in the seminar. This is, this is new information. 
in, with the gaming, with the heavy game users, when they come out of the game, they don't get their normal brain uh, consciousness back right away. It, it, they stay out of the, the beta frequency, of the, of the high frequency on the position with the brain. They stay out of that as if they're still in the game. And we also talk with the video gaming issue about how they're, they're observing something called game transfer phenomenon, where gamers are, are leaving the video game world and they start doing things in the real world as if they're still in the game. Now that's a, an extreme case, but it shows where this can lead. Speaking of music, uh, we were talking about rhythm. I said heavily rhythmic music. Uh, this is Mickey Hart, the drummer for the Grateful Dead. He's one of the wi most widely known um, you know, uh, experts on, on percussion. And he says everywhere you look around the world, people are using drums to do what? Alter consciousness. Now that's too interesting for two reasons. Number one, it's not the lyrics. It's the, the rhythmic element within the music. And secondly, it's not to entertain, it's to alter consciousness. And a third reason that's interesting is he said everywhere around the world. So when you, when you think about musical styles, uh, you know, culture comes in and we think, well, this is my, my culture. And what he's saying is, it's interesting, everywhere around the world, there is this style of music that is altering consciousness. I have discovered, along with many others, the extraordinary power of music, particularly percussion, to influence human, the human mind and body, he said. Now, when we think about the influence, again, of media in, in shutting off the brain and altering consciousness and, and enhancing the limbic system, suppressing the frontal lobe, all of these things come to, come to more clarity when we see the, the, the statements like Bertrand Russell. He was a, a British aristocratic elite in the post-World War II era, and he wrote about a scientific dictatorship, how there can be a society that is socially engineered from the top down. And interestingly, he said, it's not the education system that's the greatest method of propaganda, but perhaps the most important of all modern agents of propaganda is the cinema leading to almost worldwide uniformity. The great majority of young people in almost all civilized countries derive their ideas of love, of honor, of the way to make money, and of the importance of good clothes from the evenings spent in seeing what Hollywood thinks good for them. And I would add the music industry because that's just as big of influence today as Hollywood, more so than it was in his day. I doubt whether all the churches and schools combined have as much influence as the cinema on the opinions of the young. The producers of the Hollywood are the high priests of a new religion. We looked at a bunch of the examples of these high priests of a new religion today, not to wage a war and an attack and a criticism on them, but because they've made public statements about their effects and, and influencing the population. And uh, here's just one example of them. The founder of MTV, and by the, again, he is not the enemy. The battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of darkness. So don't get upset and mad and like we're going to, you know, just wage our attacks on them. But I want us to be warned. That's why I share the quotation. He said, the strongest appeal you can make is emotionally. If you can get their emotions going, make them forget their logic, you've got them. So you hear from, if you will, the high priests of a new religion that the, the, their goal is to get us and to get us to not just uh, shut down our logic, but to get our emotions going and to the point where he say, stated the following, at MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds, we own them. Now that's a striking statement, that we're getting owned to the extent that we observe this media and we open our minds to it and the influence comes in, we're not going to walk away unchanged because these are experts at their craft. They know what they're doing. The importance of music, according to cultural anthropologist A.P. Merriam, cannot be overemphasized. He calls it enormous. He says there is probably no other human cultural activity which is so all-pervasive and which reaches into shapes and often, what's that next word? 
controls so much of human behavior. Now, isn't that something? And we looked at great length in our session on music about how this is a last day's controversy, the issue of music. The devil will be using that, and you can count on it. If you're new with us for the first time, don't take my word for that. Be sure to view the, the, the material on our DVDs or uh, capture it on the audio. Now, at the gaming community, the gaming uh, industry is this, it's the same thing. The game designers, sometimes they do it more anonymously, though. They, one anonymous game designer said, here's how, here's how they make the... The game's so addictive. We make it just like gambling, he said. <laughs> oh, isn't that quite an admission from the industry itself? There are more examples of that, but we'll move quickly. We, we also talked about addiction in our seminar this week. We, we want to understand how the brain works and, and, and how God designed our brain to experience pleasure and to have a balanced relationship with the pleasures that God has given us. But what happens when we assault our brain with unhealthy and unnatural levels of dopamine from experiences that are outside of God's law, it, it numbs our pleasure response. And I, I won't give you the, the high school chemistry biology lesson here, but uh, uh, that, that you can see on the screen. Some of you are going, uh-oh, I just had a flashback right there, but uh, we'll move forward and spare you the pain. We, we also learned, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, the addiction of gaming and how these things hit our pleasure receptors, the, the, the popular musical styles and the rock music style does the same thing. I, I appreciate Steven Tyler's uh, succinct statement on it. We have scientists and so on quoted as well, but his, he says rock music is the strongest drug in the world. Period. I was just speaking with an individual at my booth just yesterday, and he said he gave up drugs, he gave up his hip-hop mu music and his other music that he was into that was this kind that we're talking about. And I said, which one was harder to give up, the drugs or the stimulating music? He said the stimulating music, hands down, was harder to give up because it, it has a drug-like response in the brain when you have this super highly stimulating music. So continuing on, Satan's work. We did that one already, continuing on even faster. We talked about Facebook. Chad talked about Facebook and how when you post something private about yourself on Facebook, it actually, you get a little pleasure reward in your brain and the same kind of receptors as if you had a sexual response or some sort of super unhealthy stimulating food. Pretty interesting how even something as, as innocent as Facebook, which, which in, innately is not bad, can become a problem. How many of you guys think you know somebody or are somebody who might have a problem with Facebook? Okay, that's quite a few. And again, get on Facebook though. Witness on Facebook. If it's not a problem for you, get on Facebook. Witness on Facebook. Share the truth on there. Media is good at its core. The medium of a video screen is good. The medium of a computer, a phone, a, a social network site is good at its core. God wants us to use these things for good. So don't let anybody ever say that this thing is in, innately bad, but it may be a problem for you. And we've got to face that on an individual level. Continuing on, Chad talked about uh, how, what happens when you have a, a relationship. Yes, you heard that right. With your iPhone. Mark Lindstrom of, uh, of, of neuromarketing at, at Apple, he found that people actually have activations in the love centers, the relational, emotional centers of the brain, and we are literally in love with our iPhone, but, but the amygdala are also firing off and we're, we're, we're fearful. So there's this love-fear love, relationship with this device. Isn't that interesting? We're using the word relationship. That's a really unique 21st century thing we face. So we talked about that. We talked about multitasking. Basically, Stanford University has found people who think they can multitask, which we're, we're that generation, aren't we? 
I can be on the phone and talking to you, texting and talking to you simultaneously. Or I can be doing my homework and on Facebook simultaneously. Whatever it is we're trying to do, we actually become worse at controlling memory, switching from one job to another, or, 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 or controlling our attention. So all the things that we would think would improve for good multitaskers, when you try to multitask, you actually do more poorly at multitasking than somebody who's doing one job at a time. Now back to the issue of music. We're talking about the effects of these things on our brain. We're in a love relationship with our iPhone and all of these things. We also pointed out the top musicologist of the 20th century. His name is Dr. Manfred Kleins. He was, a, he was not coming from a religious point of view. He doesn't have a dog in the fight over Christian music. But he does have an insight into the emotional expressions of various kinds of music. He's the one that identified for the world. He's the, he's the, the initiator, the innovator of identifying what, what, musical, uh, what emotions sound like on a musical level. And so what he's pointed out is uh, what, what he hears in popular Christian music is not reverence or joy or other appropriate emotional expressions. But what he said was, the music I hear in your churches communicates anger and sex. Now that's quite a rebuke from an agnostic or an atheist about our Christian music. He knows this is not, uh, you know, this is from a scientific point of view. This is not an opinion. He's saying these, these are the emotional expressions coming through in a musical, uh, the musical composition, that, which, is, which is demonstrable in a laboratory setting, which he's done in, uh, decades ago, actually. The top conductor of the 20th century pointed out, look, I don't know if the church today understands the music brought into the church. The people don't understand the music. It is perverse. So that pretty much sums up last time. I, I took a little bit more than 15 minutes, so I'm going to hustle through the uh, remaining material and make sure that we have time to talk about overcoming. All, all we missed yesterday were a, were a few, a few um, insights, and I want to give you a study. I want to give you a study that was done by the Kaiser Family Foundation. I apologize for skipping some things, but um, I want to get the, get the floor to Chad and Fadia. The Kaiser Family Foundation found that the more media we consume, the less happy we are. The more media we consume, the, le the more bored we are. Now, isn't that strange? Because I always used to go to the music. I used to, used to go to the movies, to the, to the video games, to all of these things to stimulate me so that I could have an uplift in my mood, so that I would be less bored. You know what? It leaves us more bored and less happy. And here's why. Here's the example. I used to be a Mountain Dew addict. And, uh, hi, I'm Scott. I'm a Mountain Dew addict. Anybody with me in here recovering Mountain Dew addict? All right, there's my people. We, you can do it, brothers and sisters. I'm five years and three months from having a drink, and the Lord has given me victory. And I know it's kind of funny sounding because it's, I'm saying it like it's alcohol, but it really was an addiction. Thank you for the applause. Those guys are taking it seriously, and it is. But nonetheless, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the analogy. This thing made it so that I didn't enjoy broccoli. When I drank Mountain Dew, and then if you would have given me a bowl of steamed broccoli, it was distasteful to me. What is the analogy? Well, the Bible says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Is the Bible sweeter than honey? Yes. But do many of us at times not find the Bible to be sweet? Many of us don't find it to be sweet. And here's why. Proverbs 27, verse 7 tells us that a sated man loathes honey. What does sated mean? Satisfied or full. So if we're full with the things of this world, if we're full, we're going to hate even the honey, which is the Bible. The Bible teaches us the way we get to the point where we have a distaste for the Bible is by consuming things that just fill us up. What are the things that fill us up today, brothers and sisters? What is it that we spend our time on? other than reading the Bible. You got it. 
Scientists call it the pleasure trap. Something specific is happening in your brain. The Milner study of 1954 identified the nucleus accumbens of the brain, the pleasure centers of the brain. And the way they did this was they hooked, it up, hooked up a, uh, a, a stimulator to the mice, the, the rat's brains, and then they made the, the rat able to tap a lever, and that lever would stimulate a signal which would actually activate their nucleus accumbens, making them feel as if they had just accomplish something, right? When you accomplish something, you feel good, right? When you view a beautiful sunset, you feel good, right? When you see the, the, the smile of a small child in his laugh, you feel good, right? I mean, God has given us pleasure for a reason. You eat a nutritious meal. Well, this mouse didn't do any of those natural things. He just got to tap this lever. He's like, ooh, I just figured out something awesome here. Man, I feel good. I feel good. And he just kept tapping it and tapping it and tapping it. No discipline was required. It was an easy, quick fix of pleasure. And what happened? The, the, the rats stopped eating their regular food and they were on the brink of death. Brothers and sisters, have we stopped eating the bread of life because we found a lever in our stimulating media, in our movies, in our music, in our gaming, in our whatever it is, and we've stopped eating the bread of life because we've got what we need, so we think. We're sad as we're filled. We're, woo, all right, I'm feeling it. I feel good. And all of a sudden, we're not doing the things that God has called us to do. We have no time, Review and Herald, November 14, 1899. We have no time to spend in seeking these things that only please the senses. Close heart searching is needed. With tears and heartbroken confession, we need to draw nigh to God that he may draw nigh to us. Amen? Amen. I want to give you a quick analogy. I used to live in Southern California for five years. And I grew up in Michigan. We don't have beautiful mountains like this in Michigan. I live in Michigan today. By the way, I should mention, I didn't ever introduce myself. My name is Scott Ritzema. I teach at Great Lakes Adventist Academy. I'm a Bible teacher there. And we don't have beautiful mountains like this in Michigan. But my wife and I moved to Southern California when we were in our early 20s in 2004. And we were told there's these beautiful mountains there. As many of you have probably seen these from Loma Linda. Uh, but in Riverside, when you look north in the summer, do you see mountains like that? No. We drove into this Inland Empire and we were like, where are the beautiful mountains? And we're looking north, and it's always seems like this grayish, brownish haze and smog stuff. And then there's an outline of a mountain above that. And we're going, well, okay, I guess there's a mountain there. I'm not going to deny its existence, but the mountain just isn't as beautiful and wonderful and close and captivating as people have told me about. Well, you know what would happen? Some awesome climactic events called the Santa Ana winds or the rains of Southern California will come down and knock all of that smog and haze out of the air. And the next day you'd get a beautiful sunset and sunrise and, and maybe it had been snowing up in the mountains when it was raining down in the valley and you look and it is crystal clear, clearer than that. It was even more beautiful than that by far. And you'd look at those mountains and say, man, they're way better than I ever was told. They're way better than I ever thought. You know what? This is our spiritual life, isn't it? We've been told, you've heard it your whole life, how wonderful walking with the Lord is, but maybe you've never experienced that. Maybe you're just like, okay, I know there's a God, I'm not atheist, but it's just not as wonderful as it could be, as, as I hear it should be. But God wants to do something in your lives, brothers and sisters. Today, God wants to come in with the wind. What does wind represent in the book of John? The Holy Spirit. What does the latter rain represent? Holy Spirit. God wants to bring His Holy Spirit into our lives to remove the junk. Can we do it on our own? Can we make a decision just to say, I'm, by my own works, I'm going to live a holy life and get inappropriate things out of my life? 
No, we can't do that. The Holy Spirit will do it. And Chad and Fadi are going to tell us more about overcoming and, and close us. And uh, you guys have about your, your, your 45 minutes left. So, good. I'll, I'll do it. All right. Um, as Chad puts this together, I'm just going to let you know that um, we've been telling you throughout, well, from the previous two days that we're going to share some things about overcoming, and so that's what we're going to do in this next 45 minutes. We're going to share um, the positive things that you can do to get over the media addiction, right? Because we can't just take something away in our lives and then leave it empty, right? You gotta fill it with something better. So to begin with, we're gonna talk about the mind and body, but I'm gonna share with you some things you can do on the body level to help you overcome, and Chad will come in and share some things about the brain. So here we go. Um, we do this uh, seminar on overcoming, and we have this little phrase down here. You see it says overcomer, and um, it's, it's a little acronym for people to understand the eight laws of health, and we've added one of them to it. So here, here we go. The first one is open air. It's so important that we spend time in the open air. I know being in a conference like this, you don't get a lot of that. <laughs> we walk from one building to the other. But normally, whenever you have the chance, try to get outside and get into the open air. It's so important for our brains to have that fresh, oxygen um, being pumped into our brains. Then also, uh, victory in Jesus. Chad will share some more things about this, but the V in overcomer is victory in Jesus. We can do none of these things that we're going to share with you right now without having that grace from God in our lives. Uh, nothing can, can um, help it. I mean, you know, you can change a few things in your life, right? But Every addict can tell you there's one area in their lives that they have not been able to overcome, and that's only through the grace of God that they're able to do that. And some things we have to grapple with in order to overcome, and those things cause us to draw closer to God because we've had to struggle through it. So don't get over, um, discouraged during those times when, when you feel like giving up. I'm going to share a few things here with you. This is a book about the willpower um, instinct. And it says here, Megan Oten, a physiologist, and Ken Cheng, a biologist, had just concluded their first study of a new treatment for enhancing self-control. These two researchers at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, were stunned by the findings. While they had hoped for positive results, nobody could have predicted how far-reaching the treatment's effects would, would be. The trial's guinea pigs were six men and 18 women, ranging in age from 18 to 50 years old. After two months of treatment, they showed improvements in attention and the ability to ignore distractions. Have we been talking about uh, 
multitasking and then getting your mind off of thing and you think you're multitasking but you're not well they had the ability to ignore distractions in an age of 30 second attention spans that would have been reason enough to celebrate but there was more they had reduced their smoking drinking and caffeine intake despite the fact that nobody asked them to they were eating less junk food and more healthy food. They were spending less time watching television and more time studying. They were saving money and spending less on impulse purchases. They felt more in control of their emotions. They even procrastinated less and were less likely to be late for appointments. Wow, that's real cool. Um, what is this miracle drug and where can I get a prescription? The intervention wasn't a drug at all. The willpower miracle was physical exercise. Isn't that powerful? The participants, none of whom exercised regularly before the intervention, were given free membership to a gym and encouraged to make good use of it. They exercised an average of just one time per week for the first month, but were up to three times per week by the end of the two-month study. The researchers did not ask them to make any other changes in their lives, and yet the exercise program seemed to spark newfound strength and self-control in all aspects of their lives. How important do you think exercise is to you when you're trying to give something up like media? How important is it to you as a young person whose mind is still developing? especially when you're sitting in a classroom for hours um, in, in each day, right? Very important. Um, and that's why God gave us these eight laws of health, right? To have a balance, to have a balance. And so exercise is our E in overcomer. And it's so important. Um, Spirit of Prophecy tells us that young people in particular need to have vigorous exercise, not just walking, but vigorous exercise. And I'll let you decide what that's going to be for you. Um, won't give you too many details there. Then also rest is so important, um, especially when you're young. You know that if you don't eat late at night and you get to bed early, you grow taller. Yes, and I'll tell you how, how um, I know this on a practical level. One, <laughs> wow, I didn't know this was going to cause such interest. Um, one, I know for a fact I should have been taller, but during that growth spurt I was supposed to have, I was eating um, maybe once a day, just overworking myself and getting to bed really late and getting up real early, and so I, I totally did that to myself. But um, I heard... This one doctor um, who's into health, and I won't mention who it is, that whose son was interested in, interested in getting taller. And he said, Dad, how can I get taller? There's a girl I'm interested in, and there's no way. <laughs> he said, there's no way I can, you know, like I see her genes. Her parents are tall. I'm not as, you know. And he said, son, if you uh, don't eat late and you get to bed on time, you will grow taller. And guess what? That was an inspiration to him, and he did it. He said, and the dad said, man, if I would have known that would have worked years ago, I should have told him before, you know. <laughs> so it worked. He is actually the tallest in his family. And he's not the firstborn. He's not the last, you know, he's the tallest in his family, and it worked. So um, 
just a little FYI, so important for young people. Um, I, I wish we could show you more, but there's, there's uh, some studies that were done that showed that when you're tired, you're, you're, it's like a Phineas Gage um, phase that you have. And that, what that is is Phineas Gage had damage to his frontal lobe and he lost self-control and many other things. It's also like being drunk. So it's so important that you get your rest. Also, C is we made it for control, and that would be another word for temperance, um, to have balance. Okay, so I told you about exercise. Does that mean you go out and you overdo it? No. God wants us to be balanced people, but he also wants us to abstain from those things that are harmful to us. So um, just, just having a... Um, a balance in your life is very important. Optimism is something we threw in because sometimes we can be healthy um, eaters and, and doing all these things, but we could have a really nasty attitude about it, right? Oh, so-and-so is not eating like me or so-and-so and just grumpy and nasty. And God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to be healthy individuals that also have a positive outlook in life and a loving attitude and, a, and a, um, just a, a way of winning people to your lifestyle and not making them hate your lifestyle. So a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones, we're told. Also moisture on the inside and the outside is so important, specifically for the brain. We're gonna look at something, oh, there it is. A person would have to lose 10% of her body weight in fluids to be considered dehydrated but as little as 2% can affect athletic performance, cause tiredness, and dull critical abilities. Adequate water consumption can help lessen the chance of kidney stones, keep joints lubricated, prevent and lessen the severity of colds and flu, and help prevent constipation. So how important is it for the brain? Very. It says as little as 2% of dehydration can cause dull critical thinking. And where's that critical thinking take place? the frontal lobe, your decision-making center. You want that decision-making center to be operative. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Um, yeah, it's so funny. Whenever I talk about water in, in this seminar, I always start seeing people picking up the bottle and start drinking. And here, one of our presenters just did the same thing. Praise God. So um, as little as 2%. So... When you start thinking about decision-making, okay, you're struggling with this addiction, should I do this, should I do that? All these steps that you're taking are enhancing the ability of your frontal lobe. So we said um, moisture, but then also the next E is eat nutritiously. Our brains, in terms of weight, are, not, are only a few, a few percentage points in terms of weight of the body, but we consume, uh, a majority of the calories we consume go to um, the functions of the brain. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So it may be small compared to the rest of the body, the brain, but it takes a lot of energy to run it. If you're in school, you need to make sure um, that you're eating well, whole grains. Uh, if you're becoming a vegetarian or a vegan, be informed how to do it. You know, don't just go run in there and do it and then get sick and tired and all of that, but just learn, um, get some books, study it. Don't 
um, try to do it all at once, work your way into it. Because there's a lot of bad habits people have on eating, and then they try to go vegan, and they still have their bad habits, and that's not going to help you. So that's a whole other thing. But. And then the other thing is radiant sun. We haven't been getting that much here, have we? Did some of you think we're coming to Florida? Yes, some sunshine. And it's been overcast, which it's been a blessing because it keeps us all in the meetings, right? Otherwise, we'd all be sunbathing out there if it were too nice. So, um, no, but on a serious note, it's important that we get out in the sun. We're told a lot, get out of it, get out of it. But do you know that those people that come down with skin cancer, if the more vitamin D they have in their system, the more likely they're going to beat that cancer. So there's other issues. I'm not saying go out there and get yourself burned, but expose your skin to enough of it that you're not susceptible to being burned all the time. But again, these are just the quick little things to do. Um, I'm not going to continue on that because this is not um, today's lecture. But these are things that you can do. Remember them, overcomer, or if you want to learn new start, whatever it is, these principles are good to help the brain, and Chad's going to continue from here. We're talking about the brain, and we talked about it a little bit, so I won't go over all the things we talked about already, but we talked about historically they thought the brain could not be changed. That what you had, the portions of your brain that were devoted to specific functions were stuck and they could not be changed. Science now shows us knowing that that is not the case, that actually the brain can be transformed, actually the physical structure of the brain can change. And so we're going to talk about plasticity, the transformation that can take place in the brain. One of the things they discovered that was very fascinating was they took these monkeys and what they did was, and once again, I don't agree with what they did in this study, but they did it and they've already done it and so I'm just going to tell you about it. What they did was they took some monkeys and they sewed their fingers together. Isn't that nice of them? Yeah, terrible, right? Poor monkeys. But nevertheless, they sewed their fingers together. Now here's the deal. In your brain, scientists map the brain and what they discover is that certain functions take place in certain portions of the brain. So just to give an example, I don't know exactly where it is, but let's say when I move my pointer finger right here, and that's probably not where it goes, but let's just imagine for a moment. When I go like this, it's going ding, 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 ding. The energy is taking place here in my brain. And the way it does work though is that right next to that, right next to the portion that goes when I use my middle finger, that when I use my, uh, or I'm sorry, my pointer finger, right next to that is the middle finger portion of the brain and that lights up, that it fires, the energy fires when I move the middle finger and they're right next to each other. They're literally touching each other or right next to each other. So what happened was this, that when the monkeys were, uh, they took their fingers, now if they would move the pointer finger, one part of the brain would fire. When they would move their middle finger, right next to it would fire. But then when they sewed their fingers together, they could only what? They could only move together. That's the only possibility. The only option was that they would move together. Well, what ended up happening was those two portions of the brain that would fire. So if it was the pointer finger, ding, ding, ding. If it was the middle finger, ding, ding, ding. So they would fire like this. But when they could only move together, those two points in the brain went like this. They went from being separate to being they fused together, and so scientists came up with a term. They said that those things that fire together, wire together. Those things that fire together, wire together. And so it's kind of interesting, because you may even notice that within your own life. So I used to be a smoker. I don't smoke. God gave me the victory over that. But 
I, I had never smoked before, but after, very quickly after beginning smoking, and pro, Scott was probably there, we were kids, you know, we weren't Adventists, we grew up together, and, uh, but I, I picked up drinking, I picked up smoking and these kind of things, and I became very addicted. I had an addictive personality that anything I would get into, I would just like it so much, I would just do it and do it and do it and do it until I couldn't quit. And so I got into the smoking, and the po long story short, what happens with a lot of smokers is you get to the point where anytime you're stressed, you feel like you need a cigarette, right? You need some nicotine. And for me, it didn't matter what form I got it in, but it had to be some form of nicotine. And so, so then I got to the point where anytime maybe you were, you know, you got in the car, you associated that with having a cigarette. Anytime you had a break at work, you associated that with cigarette. Some smokers, you know, anytime you're stressed, you associate that with a cigarette. And so those portions of your brain, they can connect. And as the scientists say, those things that fire together, they what? They wire together. You got the idea. So think about this. Maybe something in your life, maybe you have something similar, that anytime you're stressed, you want to go on Facebook. Or maybe you, uh, maybe you are. I, I'll bet somebody is addicted to a substance in this room also. We think, oh, not in the church. Yes, for sure there are people that struggle with different substances. And so maybe, but maybe for you it's not a substance. You say, oh, I'm not, I'm not addicted to drugs or this or that. And you may not be. But many people are addicted to television. Or like Scott, we've talked about pornography. Maybe it's uh, Facebook that you just, you're constantly habitually going into these things and so what ends up happening is certain parts of your brain just wire together that every time you uh, you know you you have just a moment off your brain goes right so I got to get on my phone I got to check uh, Facebook or this or that or whatever and so connections begin to be made in your brain it, on a more negative side you imagine some young lady some young man who was abused as a child sexually abused maybe by an uncle we'll say just for point of illustration that this uncle does something heinous to this young boy, this young girl. And for the rest of that child's life, in, in their mind, many times, anytime they even just hear the word uncle, just this negative feeling just creeps over them. Because those things that fire together, wire together, and they associate that with a painful experience. Whereas somebody who has never been abused by an uncle, when they hear uncle, they probably think the fun guy, you know, who comes over to our house from time to time. But somebody else has, they have, the, the pain has been wired into their brain. It, it's a connection. It, it became a part of who they are. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Uh, so, this, this is the bad news. That when you get into sin, sin gets into you and physically it becomes a part of your brain. Sin is not just some spiritual thing off in the clouds or some religious idea. Sin is physically a part of who you are. When you get into an addiction, it physically becomes a part of your brain. That's bad news, isn't it? But there's good news also. Now, imagine this for a moment. So the scientists came back to the monkeys, and what they did was, the monkeys, remember, their fingers are sewn together. So they came in after a time period, and remember, those two portions of the brain, the pointer finger and the middle finger, were separate. They became one. Then what ended up happening was they came in with their scalpel, and they cut it apart. They cut the fingers apart. Obviously not nice very once again. Yeah, it's probably painful for the poor monkeys, but nevertheless, so they come in and they cut them apart. And then those fingers began to move separately again. They began to move ind independently one from the other. And what ended up happening? That they scanned the brain of the monkey and they discovered once again that, that that brain that was connected like this, once the fingers began to move separately, they went like and the two portions, the one thing had become two. And so the scientists came up with another very simple phrase that says, those things that fire apart, guess what? They wire apart. Those things that fire apart, wire apart. 
Now, what can this mean in the spiritual realm for us? Think about this with me just for a moment. So, now, we, wouldn't it be nice if God would just come in literally and take, take a scalpel and just cut the sin out of your brain? That would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be great if we just be like, God, please, and all of a sudden he comes in and like, that part of your brain disappears. That would be phenomenal. But the fact is it doesn't work that way. So, so the idea is that this, the scalpel comes in, separates, and a separation takes place in that monkey's brain. But imagine this with me for a moment. So let's say every time uh, a young man sees a young lady with, you know, sh you know, short top or bottom or whatever, and, and, and he's tempted to look, right? Or, or somebody else struggles with something else. Maybe somebody struggles with stress, and they, they, every time they're stressed, they think cigarette, right? Or drug or whatever. Facebook, it could be anything that you struggle with. And, and so you have these things connected in your brain, but you don't want them to be connected in your brain. And here's the, the reality. You may have heard this quotation that says, never forget that thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. So let's say it again. It says, never forget that your thoughts, the things you think about, thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. Many times we try to change our character, or we try to change our bad habits, and we try to change our negative actions, but we cannot because something has not been changed. And what is that something? The thoughts have not been changed. And so, so if we're going to be changed, the Bible says this. It's a biblical principle. We don't only get it from the spirit of prophecy. The Bible says it in, uh, Scott already shared it with us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? It says there in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. So the idea is if you're going to forsake your way, if you're going to turn away from the old ways, you have to be changed where? In the thoughts. Your thoughts need to be changed. And so think about this. So you may associate uncle with a, you know, a painful, terrible experience and because that wired together in your brain. Or maybe you associate stress, maybe not if you don't smoke cigarettes, but you understand for the smoker, the smoker may associate stress with Tobacco, that gives me a little bit of peace. And so now you want those things to be cut apart. And so God doesn't use a scalpel to cut sin out of your life. He actually uses something much more powerful that the Bible calls a sword. He uses a sword instead of a scalpel. What is the sword? The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it tells us that there's something called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God uses something else to come in. Because remember, what needs to be changed? Well, yeah, okay, our, our character needs to be changed. Our habits need to be changed. Our actions, actions need to be changed. But ultimately, what needs to be changed? The thoughts. And if the thoughts are changed, everything else will be changed. Is this right? So, so God comes in with his, his sword, not his scalpel, but he comes in with a sword. And what he can do is he can transform the brain by transforming your thoughts. Does this make sense? Yes or no? So God uses his word. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23, which we've already mentioned, it says being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The Bible says you are born again by the word of God. 
Meaning, by nature, your natural birth, you crave the lust of the flesh. You crave the world. You crave food. You crave sex. You crave all the different things of the world. And, and God says, I want to give you those things in the right sphere by first changing you, giving a new birth, so that you, you desire these things in a holy way, in the right way. Because sex is not a bad thing in and of itself. It's just bad out of, the, out of the biblical context. Food is not a bad thing in and of itself. It is outside of the biblical context. Does this make sense? Yes or no? And God, God wants you to have good food. God loves marriage. And the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. Marriage is meant to be a blessing, but sin has corrupted things that God meant to be good. And so God has to come in. And we have, been, we have become one with the world. Those things that have fired together, have wired together in our brain, and sin has become a part of humanity. It's a part of who you are. So God says, I want to come in with the sword of the Spirit, and I want to cut these things apart so that you begin to desire that which is good. And the interesting thing is when you desire that which is good and you actually follow through on the good things, you find the only true peace and happiness that a human can possibly have. When I was in the world, I thought you could never be happy in, in God. I, I mean, I thought the things of this world, drugs and sex and all these kind of things, this is where happiness was, and it wasn't until God changed my life where I began to actually find what true happiness really was. I would wake up in the morning totally empty when I was in the world, go to the party, get trashed out of my brain, and, and literally couldn't remember getting home, and, and waking up in the morning absolutely empty. And you may say, well, I don't do that. I don't drink myself to sleep at night. And maybe you don't. But the fact is, if you're living for the world, you, 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 you think, man, life is, I, I don't get it. And then you think, oh, maybe if it's just I get a good, good enough job, or if I get a pretty enough girl, or a good-looking enough husband, or just the right person, then I'll be happy. And you find out, Without Christ, it never works. It never actually brings the happiness. So God wants to change us at the core of who we are. He wants us to be born again so that we begin to, listen, marriage isn't a bad thing. Finding the right person isn't a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. But if we put, if we, as the Bible says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But then what's it say? And all these things shall be added unto you. Meaning, when you seek God first, He takes care of the rest. When we are born again, so God wants to come and He wants to transform your brain. And the Bible says that takes place with the Word of God. Number one, we need to be spending time in the Word of God daily. Not missing a day. And we've already stated, for those who, you, uh, who haven't been here, that by nature you don't like the Bible and neither did I. We don't naturally like the Bible. But the Bible says we're born again by the Word of God. Meaning, so we begin to spend time in it, and initially I didn't like it. It was boring, it was just black and white pages, totally not interested. But I began to read through it because an atheist kind of challenged me on it. I wasn't an Adventist yet, and this atheist, uh, he basically said to me, he said, so you believe in the Bible? I said, yes. He said, have you read it? Well, uh, no, not really, you know. He said, you believe in a book you haven't even read? And I thought, yeah, I guess that looks kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? And, and, then, and then he said, well, well, then why do you believe it? And what would every good Christian say to that one? I believe it based on faith. What a ridiculous answer, right? I believe in a book by faith that I've never read, right? That's not faith. Faith isn't believing in something you have no idea about. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? Word of God. So faith comes from the Word of God. And if you haven't read it, can you really have faith in it? You have blind faith in it then. You don't have true biblical faith, right? 
Because faith comes from spending time in the Word of God. And so, so because of this atheist, I actually decided, I'm going to read through the Bible because I don't ever want to have that happen again where somebody, you know, basically challenges me. I, I felt like a fool, you know? But nevertheless, so I began to read through the Bible, and initially I didn't like it. I had no interest in it, but I began to do it. And we are born again as we spend time in the Word of God. He begins to give you new desires. He begins to point your desires in the right direction. And so he comes in with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And as you begin to read it and allowing God to change you as you think and meditate upon the Word of God, as you do that day by day, it changes you. He changes your heart. He creates within you the new covenant experience. He gives you a new heart, the Bible says. So let's think about this for just a moment. So we're talking about uh, neuroplasticity. We're talking about transformation taking place in the brain. Now, one of the things the Bible talks about in connection with this, so as we are born again by the Word of God, notice we want to go on to something even deeper, not just in the beginning. If you just in the beginning begin to read the Bible, in the beginning, I can tell you from personal experience, if you're not good at reading, maybe when you read it, that's all you can do is just read the Word of God. But God wants to bring us to a deeper experience with Him through meditation in the Word of God. Now, I want to be very clear. We're not talking about Eastern meditation. We are not talking about these so-called spiritual exercises of Loyola or whatever. We're talking about true biblical meditation, where you're actually contemplating what the Word of God means, spending time in it, thinking about it. And as you do, it's changing your mind. It's changing your heart. We need to spend time with God daily in His Word. Did you know that we are told only those... Only those who have fortified their minds with the truths of God's Word will be able to stand through the last great conflict. Only those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Word of God will be able to stand through the last great conflict. What that means is if you are not spending time in God's Word daily, you will not be ready for the end. And initially, you don't like it. But that's why you need to get into it. Because it begins to change you, right? Because thoughts, now think about that. So God comes in, let's say, back to our illustration of cutting this, this neuroplasticity, the transformation that takes place in the brain. So, so let's say you have a temptation. Let's just give the cigarettes an example. And you say, oh, I don't struggle with cigarettes. You can put your own temptation, whether it's pornography, whether it's an anger issue, whether it's uh, you have an addiction to Facebook or whatever. Let's just give, we'll give the smoking in, as an example, and you can plug your thing in there. So imagine this, that this, this so you're, you, you struggle with every time you're stressed, you feel like you need a cigarette, okay, for illustration purposes. And so, so then, instead of uh, going to the cigarette, you find out about Bible promises. And the temptation comes, and so now you feel tempted, you feel like having a cigarette because you're stressed, and then you think about it, and you say, Father, you said, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And so you say, Father, you said you're going to make a way to escape. And so now as you begin, as, as the temptation comes and you claim the verse of Scripture, what is changing? Your thoughts are changing. Your thoughts are changing, and those new thoughts are going to create new actions. Those new actions, when you repeat them, will become new habits, and then ultimately you will have a new character, right? And so God has given us His Word to replace, because listen, all of your sins, every single last one of them, stems from the mind. 
It stems from the, the, the very core of your being that, that this temptation comes from the lust of, of the heart, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And so when, when the temptation comes, it, instead of dwelling upon the temptation, man, I really could go for a cigarette. Oh, man, I shouldn't have a cigarette. Oh, I shouldn't have a cigarette. Man. And now, what am I thinking about when I tell myself, don't smoke a cigarette? I'm thinking about cigarettes. And what, what do we discover? That thoughts work out what? Actions. So here's the deal. You know, if you tell a child, you know, just don't do that, and you just say don't do that, they're going to be thinking about it generally, right? Same thing with you. Just telling yourself, oh, I shouldn't look at that young lady. Oh, don't look at her. Oh, I didn't. No, I shouldn't, right? Right? The fact is, see, listen, what, so you just tell yourself don't do something, and you'll end up generally doing it, right? But what if something better happens? What if you take the Word of God and you bring it to mind and you contemplate what the Bible says? And you say, Father, you told me. You told me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every what? every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see the difference? When we say, Father, you said you can bring every single thought I have into captivity to your word. And Father, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in your word. And as I'm thinking on him, uh, his word, and as I'm talking to him, guess what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about spiritual things. And those spiritual thoughts will cause spiritual actions. Those spiritual actions will become spiritual habits and so forth out of the character and you understand. God wants His Word to be central in our lives. We are also told in Last Day Events, page 67, we are told the time will come when many will be deprived of the written Word. But if this Word is printed in the memory, no one can take it from us. The time will come when many will be deprived of the written Word. But if this word is printed in the memory, no one can take it from us. The devil realizes if he can get us wasting our time constantly, not even doing bad things, just constantly checking the news, constantly on Facebook, constantly watching even good things on television, that if our minds are on spiritual things, he can at least keep them because he knows the time is coming. He knows the future because he's, he's, he's going to help bring it to pass. He knows the time is going to come where he's going to take the word of God away from many of God's people. And how will we overcome without the Word of God? God is calling us to make His Word paramount in our life. Our relationship with Him, number one, that through His Word we are being connected to Him and He transforms our life. He creates within us a new heart as we meditate upon the Word of God, thinking about what it means. Father, You told me You can bring every thought into captivity. You said these things, Father. I'll give you a, 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 an example for either looking at pornography or looking at people of the opposite sex, uh, you know, lustfully. Uh, David said in Psalms 101 verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me, Psalm 101, verse 3. Kind of has a meter to it, so it's very easy to memorize, at least in the King James. But nevertheless, so, so it says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And we can say, Father, you said, you said that you can give the, abil the ability. Ellen White has this, this, this saying uh, that, that she said, all his biddings, meaning all, all his commandments, all his biddings are enablings. That means every time He commands you to do something, He will also give you the ability to do it. Right? And so, whenever we have these promises, we can say, Father, You said I, I can put no wicked thing before my eyes. And because You said that, Father, You have the power to make it 
fulfilled in my life. You have the power to make it come to pass in my life. Friends, God's Word can be central. That as we spend time in the morning in God's Word, it changes us. We have this hour with our Savior in the morning. And instead of having an hour on, on what are people eating on Facebook, right? Or an hour of this or that or whatever. Instead of just thinking of commonplace things, we spend time with the Word of God. We begin our day on a solid ground. And then, as we go through the day, we, we, we can even meditate upon the Word of God by, by when we have time off. Instead of just wasting it on, on worthless things, we can go back to the Word of God and we can even be storing up God's Word. You could have it on your phone. There's programs to do that. Or you could have, uh, normally I, I have cards in my pocket, you know, and, and you can look at them there and, and you can go through and you can memorize, store up God's Word in your mind and in your heart. God transforms us by the renewing of our minds. He's given us health principles that my wife just talked about. The health principles make it easier to overcome. But ultimately, through our connection with God, and I want to say one more thing to you on this subject, that as you are doing it, it the, the, has anybody, and you can be honest, I'm raising my hand to say this did happen to me. Has anybody ever tried to claim a promise and then just went right into the temptation afterward? I have. Anybody else ever had that? You're like, man, I, I claimed the promise and I sinned. It doesn't work. This doesn't work. Right? Now, the Bible tells us why it didn't work. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, the context in Hebrews chapter 3 into chapter 4, talking about the history of the Israelites, that they were not faithful to what God asked them to do. And then it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, it says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. So Paul's saying the, the word of God was preached to the Jews as well as unto, well, the people he's talking to in his day, but it also would include us. So unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto the Israelites. He said, but the word did not profit them. What? The word was preached to them and it didn't profit them. You, you tried to overcome and the word didn't profit you. But it said, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the, but the word did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. When I, when I said the prayer, I was like, Oh, Lord, your, your, your word said uh, such and such. And, and Father, uh, but I feel like I'm going to do it, and I'll probably do it in like three minutes. Right? And so I'm, I'm going by what I feel instead of trusting in what God said. You, does that make sense? So the Israelites heard the word of God, but it didn't help them. And the same thing, it says that the word of God doesn't help you unless you truly believe what the word of God says. Give you an example. Uh, two stories and we'll close. Joe Cruz was on a plane back in the days when you could smoke cigarettes on an airplane. Can you imagine? Being on like a tin can with a bunch of people smoking, right? And so he's sitting next to this guy and the guy pulls out his cigarettes, long story short, and he turns to the guy and he says, hey, have you ever thought about quitting? And the guy said, oh, oh I would love to quit. Hey, I absolutely I've thought about it. And he said, hey, I put on seminars about overcoming smoking. Would you, would you mind if I share some things with you? And the, the, the guy said, oh, sure, sure. And so Joe Cruz pulled out his Bible, and the man that he was talking with was a Baptist, but he said, oh, no, 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 I tried that. It didn't work. And he said, well, well would you mind if I share with you something? And he, he went to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 and 58, which are powerful promises, great ones to memorize. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 and 58 basically tell us this. It says, now thanks be unto God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. But it begins by saying, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory. 
Now, the text says God gives us the victory, and he asked the man, when you came to God and you asked for him to give you victory, did you actually believe last time you prayed that, that he gave you the victory, yes or no? And what do you think the man's answer was? No. Because the word of God doesn't profit us unless it's mixed with faith. We have to believe it. And so, so when we come to God, actually believing that he will give us the victory, truly believing with all our heart, not, not saying, Father, I don't feel like I'm going to do this. Actually, I really want to do it. I want to do it bad. Father, yes, I want to do it. Yes, and I feel like I'm going to. What am I doing? Thoughts work out. Actions. Mark Finley tells the story that, that he was with a guy who was praying like that. He's like, oh, Lord, I'm so terrible. I'm going to do, I do so bad. I'm, I, I'm just, no, I'm going to fall back into it. And Mark Finley said, stop, brother, stop praying. You're going to be worse off after this prayer than when you began. Right? You see, if we don't believe, it doesn't do any good. And so when we say, Father, you promise. And so when we say, you promise, Father, you said you will give us the victory, Father, and I'm trusting with you and you with all my heart. Those thoughts work out actions because they are mixed with faith in the believer. God wants to give you the victory. He wants to give the ultimate victory. In closing, a friend of mine, I'll just tell you, he's a brother. Good-looking brother. I don't think he's married yet, but nevertheless, I try not to say his name. I won't say his name, so even if you found him, you wouldn't know it's the guy. But nevertheless, and sometimes when I tell the story, I forget to not say his name, so I'm going to do my best not to say the name, but nevertheless. So he picked up my wife and I from the airport. And as he picked us up from the airport, uh, he, he was, see, we were all working in a ministry, and that ministry, this several years ago, the ministry, uh, there was basically no more funds left, and so we all had to find work. So we were just working, and, uh, you know, I was doing one job, he was doing another. He was working at Target. And he was working at Target, and there were several young ladies working there. He was a good-looking young man. He was a good guy. And so uh, the young ladies, they started to dig him. And he was struggling. And so this brother prays more than any human being I know. At almost every single conversation he begins, begins like this. I was talking to the father. I was talking to the father. You would think the father was in the next room, right? Because he's always talking to the father. And so he began this conversation with us by saying, I was talking to the Father. And, and so then he's telling us what he was praying to the Father. He said, because he, he knows these girls are good looking and they like him and he's struggling not liking them because he knows what the Bible said. You know, back there in Genesis where it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of men that they were fair. They were good looking. So they went in and had children with them, right? It happens in the church all the time. Girls in the church, it, it happens all the times with girls in the church. They're like, the guys in the world are just so much nicer than the guys in the church. It's because they're hitting on you, right? Because they know you're a good girl and that's what they want, right? And so we're like, oh, but the, the guys out there are better, right? They, this, this is a struggle in Bible times. This is nothing new. Nothing new. Um, sorry, I don't want to joke about the issue, but it's true. You need to marry somebody in the faith, okay? I'm not commanding you. I'm just telling you it's biblical. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, the Bible says. It brings pain and suffering to the family and to the children especially because of our selfishness. So let's not do that. But back to the story. So, so my, my friend is praying, and he's like, I was talking to the Father, and this is, this is his prayer. He said, I was talking to the Father, and I said, Father, you got to help me, because these girls are fine. <laughs> That's what he said. And then he said, so he says, Father, you got to help me, because these girls are fine. And he said, and I know that if I get with one of these girls, I'm going to receive the mark of the beast. And I laughed when he said it, because I was like, man, I've never prayed a prayer like that my whole life. <laughs> but you know, even though it was funny to me, one thing I did know, this brother prays more than anybody I've ever known, he prays like he's talking to his friend. And he wasn't afraid to come to God with all honesty. 
Maybe you've prayed like I have in the past where you're like, oh Lord, help me not to sin, right? And, and we don't even want to let him know what sin it is because we, we think he might be ashamed if he found out, right? Now, I'm not saying we should go on and just get in nasty detail over and over and over, but meaning, Father, you know I struggle with this sin. You know my filthy mind. You know that I'm struggling with this, Father, and you've promised. You've promised in your word. If it's the cigarettes, you can say, Father, you told me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you told me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you want to dwell in me. And Father, I want, you, I want you to dwell in me. Jesus, I want you to just fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, fill me so that I, that I, that I don't have desires to do these things. And as I'm, as I'm trusting in you, Father, I know you will give the victory because you promised you will give the victory. Friends, if we come to God in all of these situations, putting Him first, believing in His Word, trusting in Him, He gives us the victory. Maybe there's something in your life. Maybe there's something you've been struggling with. We know that a good percentage of people in here right now have been struggling with pornography. That's just a fact. There are a good amount of people in this room who just constantly waste time. You know that it's not bringing you happiness and, and all you do is waste time on certain things on the internet. Maybe things that are not innately bad, but you know it's just ruining your relationship with God. It's causing you to maybe just desire the things of others and you're struggling with th other things on the internet. There are others who may struggle with video games. You may have a literal addiction that you're constantly on there. Or maybe it's for you not an addiction, but you're playing things you know that are not right or watching films and these things with sin on them, and you're beholding these things, and God is calling you today to let go of the things of the world. Touch not the unclean thing. Maybe there's another issue. Maybe, you, maybe there's a young lady in here that struggles with bulimia or anorexia. Some addiction to things that, that somehow, some way, you, you become stuck in this addiction. Maybe there's some sin that I haven't mentioned, but Jesus is calling you today to find victory. Jesus wants to give you the victory. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads just now. While all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, I'm going to give a, a few different options. Maybe the Lord's calling you to a different thing, a different uh, victory in your life. Is maybe there's somebody here who you know you have a specific sin. It may be an addiction. It may not be an addiction to a substance like alcohol. It may be or to cigarettes, it may be though, or drugs or whatever, but maybe it's an, just a, a, an action, something you do over and over and over. It could even be a negative thought that you just constantly go over because of the past, some terrible thing, and you even want to let go of that. But maybe there is some kind of negative, repetitive habit in your life. It could be media, it could be pornography, it could be whatever, and in your, you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this Sabbath afternoon. And while all heads are bowed, and all eyes are closed, is there someone who would just like to lift up their hand to heaven and say, Jesus, I need your help in overcoming. I need your help in overcoming. And you raise your hand just now. You can put your hands down. Maybe somebody else. You've heard these things. You've seen many of the things that Scott has shared with us about media. And you see the dangers. You see that it's, you don't have time for God because you only have time for these things or, or whatever. Or maybe you, you don't even think it's such an addiction, but you still would like to just take the opportunity to see what it would be like to, to experience the media fast that we talked about. Taking a 30-day media fast. Just saying, now remember that may, if you work and you need to, or you're in school and you need to check your email for school, we're not talking about that. 
But in general, just to constantly, you're not going to check it every five minutes or whatever, but you're going to have specific times for that, that's fine. But you're going to say, I'm going to put away the TV. I'm going to put away the internet that's unnecessary, the things that I don't need to do, and I'm just going to put away all media that is unnecessary for 30 days. I want to, I want to experience, I want to find out what would life be like without, without media for 30 days. And see if your spiritual relationship with God grows like never before, and see what it's actually like. Is there someone who would like to say, I want to try this media fast by the raising of my hand for 30 days. I want to see what that's like. I want to experience my relationship with God on a deeper level. I want to give that a try. So anybody would like to raise their hand and say that just now? Amen. You can put your hands down. Maybe there's somebody who has struggled with a sin for so long you feel like you are, that you are hopeless. That the Savior could not forgive you. You are the hopeless case because you have come to God, you have asked for forgiveness. Just like me in the past, you've come and you, you said, oh, Father, help me, but in your mind, you're like, ah, I'm going to do it in five minutes, and you fell back into it. But you want to say, Jesus, I'm even almost too weak to raise my hand to heaven to ask for help. My guilt is so great, I don't see how a soul like me could ever be saved. Yet Jesus is reaching his hand down from heaven and saying, I want to lift you up, I want to give you victory. And don't forget, friends, Jesus already took that sin that you feel like can't be, for, that, that can't be forgiven, Jesus already took that one to the cross. Is there someone who says, my guilt has been so great, but, but Jesus, I am so weak, but I want to lift my hand up because I know I want you and I want you to save me just now. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are desperately weak. Father, I'm so thankful that Though science for years said the brain couldn't be changed, the Bible always said it could. I can imagine some Christians, maybe, maybe I mean, I don't know for sure, but maybe some fell away thinking, oh, the Bible says we're transformed in our minds, but, you know, the brain stuck. I am what I am, and I can't change. But then science finally came around to catch up with the Bible and said, that's right, the brain can actually be transformed, rewired, physiologically changed. And, Father, I'm thankful that you created within the human mechanism of the brain the ability for total transformation. And then you gave us a book that if we not just quote it, because we can quote it and fall into the temptation, but if we quote it with, with absolute faith, trusting in you, and then we meditate it, instead of just thinking, oh, Father, help me overcome this and run on my merry way, but when we say, Father, you said... You said you will bring every thought into captivity. You said you will make a way to escape. You said that you could give me the strength not to put my eyes on any wicked thing. You said I could be born again by the Word of God. And Father, I'm trusting in you. Father, we want this experience where we learn day by day to trust in you. Father, my prayer is that each one of us, and maybe I should do that right now, Father, and I just want to say, end prayer, we're coming back to it in just a moment. Heads are still bowed. Maybe there's someone who's not been reading the Bible daily. Maybe there's someone who's not been reading the Bible daily, but you want to commit to the next 30 days to, to spending, this is a lot, spending an entire hour a day in the Word of God. You want to experience what that's like. You've, you've maybe let it slip, or maybe you never have consistently read. But is there someone who would like to say, I want to find out in the next 30 days, I want to spend that time with my Savior. I want to spend an hour. I haven't been doing it. I want to spend the hour with my Savior. Is there someone who would like to raise their hand and say that? Father, you see the hands that have raised. Maybe, maybe some of the ones who haven't, they, they know I have been doing that. But Father, we want the experience. We need to be changed. And we know we're changed by the media. Scott shared us with that. We saw by mirror neurons. We're changed by what we look at. 
It takes place in our brain as if it's happening to us. Father, we need to look at something better. Help us to spend time in your word daily. May we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need you. Father, we're crying out to you for help. We live in the most wicked time of earth's history, and we are so desperately wicked, and the devil has scientifically concocted ways to help us, to make us fall. But I'm thankful that you are the creator of this, this whole being that you've given us, and you've made a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. Father, may we spend time daily in your word. May we store it up in our minds and in our hearts. May we come to you with promises, claiming them, but not just claiming them, but believing them with all of our heart and meditating upon what you said. And as we meditate, that our thoughts would work out new actions, that those new actions would become new habits and those new habits would become a Christ-like character. Father, change us. Give us the victory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.